today on Ag News Daily. The market rebounds and reacts and getting into weather during pollination. You know, I don't want to say it's over and done with, but this is a critical week. It truly, truly is for this marketplace. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a hot and steamy Monday here on June 18th, 2018. I'm Mike Pearson, joined by Delaney Howell. Hey, Delaney. Hey. And Hannah Pagel. Hey, Hannah, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Well, that is fantastic. We've just come through a very hot weekend. It looks like uh, a lot of the Corn Belt has some chance for severe weather here over the next couple days. And frankly, I'd be pretty pleased with a couple drops of rain just to kind of suck some of the humidity out of this air. Oh, my gosh. It's sticky hot today. When you said a steamy, sticky mess, it reminded me of cow manure. I don't really know why. Hmm. Interesting, Delaney. I'm not quite sure how your brain works, but it's fascinating. (laughs) No, either. (laughs) <laughs> well, let's see. Let's let's jump into the news. Hannah Pagel, what's jumping out at you today in the world of agriculture? So I wanted to touch on this story today. Um, so lab-grown meat has risen in interest over the year, and as of right now, it has caught the eye of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration along with the USDA, and they're now starting the discussion whether or not it should be regulated. And That kind of seemed like, why wouldn't it be regulated in my mind? But a little information for it. The cultured meat, which is considered, quote unquote, environmentally sound alternative to real animal meat, is made by harvesting cells from animals and then you grow them in like a Petri dish in a lab to make food. And companies like Memphis Meats and Future Meat Technologies have started like an interest with Tyson Foods and Cargill, as well as billionaire uh, Bill Gates to get some funding towards this project. But right now, the FDA plans to hold a meeting July 12th to get some input from the industry on how on the safety of this technology, as well as considerations for how to possibly label the product so consumers know that they're getting meat from a lab and not from a cow or an, just an animal in general. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm assuming you guys are on the same side as me, just since we both have beef backgrounds and whatnot, but I would like to know if my meat was coming from a lab instead of an, instead of an animal, but I found it to be very, very interesting that CoBank has called alternative protein products, it's one of the more hotter food trends that are, that we're supposed to be watching this year, and they have predicted that cultured meat wouldn't be in restaurants for another three to five years or grocery stores for another five to eight years. But that can be quickly coming around the corner if you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, you got to stay ahead of these things. Like you said, hey, this, uh, how is it going to be regulated? How Mm -hmm. is it going to be labeled? We've got to address those things today. And yeah, I mean, from the meat perspective, you know, it directly impacts, of course, your cattle, your hog, your poultry producers, but it also impacts our feed grain growers. I mean, if all of a sudden a lot of folks are getting their meat from petri dishes rather than from livestock, well, there goes some feed demand. So it certainly impacts the whole industry. Yeah, plus petri dish meat just sounds gross. Ugh. Yeah, like nut juice. <laughs> right, yeah. Same same level as nut juice. Yeah. Let's see, speaking of nut juice and milk, I'm going to segue here into my first piece of news, talking about uh, Canada's dairy supply management system. 
So, of course, we've got NAFTA negotiations going on, and one of the big points of contention for the ag industry especially has been uh, getting rid of Canada's dairy supply management program. But apparently on Friday, uh, Secretary Perdue told reporters that the Trump administration would settle for an elimination of just the country's Class 7 pricing scheme, which was enacted, I think, February 1st of this past year, uh, which basically just created another class. And I think there's certain or specific regulations that go along with the Class 7. Um, I think it was specifically targeted at at imports coming from the U.S., was it not, Mike? It was. It was specifically targeting the ultra-filtered milk product that yep, we were shipping that's up right. there. So apparently Secretary Purdue said if we can get rid of that, just a Class 7 uh, milk pricing structure scheme, more willing to go ahead and move forward with NAFTA. Which makes sense because it sounds like the Canadians were never, ever, ever going to give up supply management no. in the dairy program. Right. Well, let's see. As long as we're talking investments, I've got some pretty cool news. A friend of the podcast, a guest we have had on for Tech Tuesday, Colin Hurd from Smart Ag, a uh, tech startup up there in Ames, Iowa, developing basically the tools, kind of a plug-and-play system to turn any fairly recent tractor into self-driving. Um, they have received $5 million in an investment round from uh, Iowa's only billionaire, Harry Stein, which I thought was pretty cool. That is yeah, really I saw cool. That, news too. that is really neat. Yeah. yeah. Nice to see Iowa groups getting out there solving problems that are faced by growers around the world and looks like having some success. That's for mm-hmm. sure. For and sure. Speaking about funding, so I just wanted to touch on this since we've also had Kevin Fulta, Dr. Kevin Fulta on the podcast before, and he talked a little bit about citrus screening down in Florida. Well, Certus USA, a biopesticide company, has recently donated $20,000 to help for funding research projects um, to help find a cure towards citrus screening. So that's just a little update on that. But then the other piece of news that I wanted to talk about today was, you know, we also talked about before in the podcast how they were using seaweed to combat methane emissions over in California. Well, now there's been some research that has found that algae has could possibly be used to treat mastitis in dairy animals, which mastitis is one of the leading global animal health issues that affect the world's 244 million dairy cows. And it costs the industry billions of dollars trying to fight against it. But yeah, so this, uh, let me get this right, Zivo Biosciences, which is a biotech or ag tech research and development company, um, just has been doing a study and they announced today that they have received positive results from their from their um, discovery in this study, which found that using algae uh, helps eliminate mastitis in cattle. So that's something we could possibly keep looking into or get on for an interview to talk a little bit about that, because I know we have a lot of dairy listeners that join us for this podcast. So. You bet. And, Absolutely. of course, it matters for beef producers as well. You know, you get a mm-hmm. get a cow with mastitis, and all of a sudden you got yourself a bottle cap. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Let's see. Well, I have some news here coming out from the ethanol and oil industries. 
On Friday, the U.S. EPA said that it cannot make large oil refiners blend additional biofuels into their gasoline to make up for those volume waivers that were granted. So a little bit of background. Of course, we know it's a big issue between the oil refiner states and the Corn Belt states, and lawmakers like Senator Chuck Grassley have been demanding the EPA to make some of those larger uh, refiners take on bigger obligations this year to compensate for those volumes that were exempted under the program or under those hardship waivers. And they've officially said on Friday that that's not going to happen. So it's, so it's not going to happen. And yeah, so all of uh, Secretary Purdue's work also kind of down the toilet there. And we just got to sacrifice that uh, grain demand, it sounds like. Yes, unfortunately. Well, you know, when well, I guess, Delaney, you gave me a pretty good segue here. Of course, uh, if oh, we're going to blend ethanol with something, we're blending it with gasoline and soy uh, biodiesel is blended with diesel and all of those things come from crude oil. And the American crude oil industry has been booming these past two years with the rise in the price of crude. We've seen fracking come back to life and, you know, we're employing a lot of people. And the run-up in the price of crude has encouraged investors to look back into the world of commodities, which includes the grains. But on Friday, we heard from China they are going to strike back at the U.S. and the uh, the new tariffs that were put on. And one of the commodities China has vowed to put a tariff on is U.S. oil, which is interesting. Right now, the shipment of U.S. oil into China is worth a billion dollars a month. And so we saw the price of crude drop today as traders kind of went, whoa, let's see what happens here. And so we've got China potentially looking at hitting crude oil, potentially looking at hitting soybeans. We've got Mexico hitting pork. A lot of the commodity sectors are coming under pressure from these uh, trade negotiations, and that's just going to make it tough for us to get those outside, those big money investors to come back in and buy what we're selling. Yeah, that's pretty timely since we are talking the markets today. So we're going to have to make sure and talk to Naomi about how that's been affecting the markets. And that's a good segue into my last piece of news. So it's not all bad news. We've had uh, the U.S. beef industry open up into China now. And although China hasn't agreed to reduce some of those restrictions on U.S. beef, we've got a new report that came out from the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service, or FAS, saying that China has now bumped up the number of production facilities that can ship to China up to 53, and that includes some larger companies like Cargill, Swift, and Creekstone. So we've got quite a few here. We've got uh, Oregon, California, most of, the, most of the Corn Belt states, Texas, Florida, and Alaska can all ship to China now. So we're still looking to open up markets there, even with what's going on in the world of trade. You bet they still love the taste of that delicious, delicious mm-hmm. American corn-fed beef. And that's what matters <laughs> uh, for beef producers. That's right. Well, Hannah, before we jump into the markets ahead of our conversation with Naomi Bloom, do you have any other news for us? I don't, Mike. So if you would like to, go ahead and get us right into the markets. Let's do that, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can put a marketing plan in place and sleep a little bit easier with some of this price risk that's going on throughout the markets by giving our friends at the Zaner Group a call. 312-277-0050 is their number, or you can visit their website at zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. 
And it looks like we've got some mixed trade here on the grain side of the ledger. In the corn market, July corn down five and a half cents at three fifty five and three quarters. The December also down five and a half to close at three seventy seven and a quarter. Soybeans saw a little bit of strength today at the end of the day. The July contract was up one and three quarter cents, closed at nine oh seven and a quarter. November down a quarter of a penny to finish at nine thirty and a quarter. A lot of weakness in the wheat market today. In the Chicago contracts, July was down nine and a half cents at four ninety even. September was down 11 and three quarters to close the day at 501 and three quarters. Looking at livestock in the live cattle trade, we've got mixed trade today. The June was down 15 cents at 108.30, while the August was up 40 to finish the day at 105, 17 and a half. In feeder cattle strength down the board. The August contract was up a dollar at 148.9750. September up 85 cents to close at 149.1250. And in lean hogs, more strength, especially in the front month. The July contract up two dollars on the day, finished at 83.72 and a half. The August up a dollar 17 and a half to close at 79.42.50. Quick look over at the dairy market here for class three milk. The June contract was off four cents on the day at fifteen thirty three, and July was down twenty-five cents to close at fifteen eighteen. Before we get to our hashtag market Monday conversation with Naomi Bloom, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. This week we are speaking with Phil Long, agronomy specialist with Latham High Tech Seeds, and Phil Yellow Top has been showing up around the area. What can growers do to be on the lookout for this? Sure. Yeah, it seems like it's showing up a lot. I've noticed it uh, throughout the fields in this, this yellow top or rapid growth syndrome or, or buggy whipping, whatever you want to call it. Uh, has a lot of different names, but um, it, it's, it's simply basically a, the leaves trying to emerge from the whorl of the corn and they end up twisted and all wrapped up because they're growing too fast. And typically we see it you know, when it's really warm and the temperatures are, are favorable for really strong growth conditions in the corn, and um, it can happen, happen in any particular year, and, and I've seen quite a bit of it this year, but it's usually around that V4, V6 time period, but it can happen later, and, and that's why guys typically, they'll, they'll misdiagnose it for something like a herbicide damage on a growth regulator or something, but, but you just, just remember that it's, uh, it's going to be random throughout the field, unlike a herbicide damage where you should be able to spot a pattern. And it's typically, uh, this, the symptoms are going to show up later in the season, so it's V4, V6 time periods, a little late for a herbicide injury. So the biggest thing is it's not going to cause any yield damage, and that's what most guys get concerned with. It'll outgrow it in about a week or so, and, and you won't hardly see any remnants, just some yellow tops and eventually some crinkled leaves, and it'll be fine. Absolutely, Phil. And folks, if you want more information on agronomic advice, you can give them a call at Latham High Tech Seeds at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit their website at LathamSeeds.com. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday, and joining us today from Stuart Peterson up in Wisconsin is our good friend Naomi Bloom. And Naomi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's been hot. Have you been out on the boat yet this summer? Um, a little bit more than last summer, yes. We're taking a break from the big water ski show for this summer and just focusing on baseball, so that leaves more family time. So it's mm-hmm. been really nice, yeah. Perfect. More family time, more sitting in the heat at baseball games. <laughs> what fun. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
Oh, gosh. Let's see. Let's jump right into this. Naomi, I want to get your big picture thoughts right off the bat. The 10,000-foot view, commodities as a whole seem to be under pressure as we get into this trade talk and, of course, uh, what looks to be a decent growing season so far this year. What's – is there a – is that the right attitude? Is, do you feel that commodities are under pressure? And B, what can get it to, to kind of change its tune a little bit for the sector as a whole? Yeah, this black swan has been absolutely horrible to this marketplace, and it has spooked all of the big fund money, and they took their ball, and they went home, and they said, we don't want to be a part of this. So they exited long positions in corn and soybeans and wheat and are now estimated to actually be sellers in the market. So they have wiped out any profits that were there, again, because of the black swan with this trade issue. Um, So is it justified or not? I mean, if we could get this resolved sooner than later, we could get back to just trading the true fundamentals of the market, which are actually neutral to supportive yet. But in the short term, unfortunately, this trade issue is, is front and center, along with not any major weather issues so far. But We don't know for sure right now, because of this trade stuff, um, where demand actually sits in terms of what we'll be exporting. So until we can get that figured out, unfortunately, the path of least resistance is down, um, but maybe we can get something figured out before July 6th when the tariffs start to take effect. With that being said, Naomi, do you think that these trade and tariff issues have been fully priced into the market yet, or are we still anticipating to see some blows, especially if they do go into effect on July 6th? That is the million-dollar question, and I'm wondering the same thing. I mean, this is uncharted historic territory for all of us in the industry, and, um, you know, we have been saying, well, demand is so strong, and China needs to feed its people, and I'm trying to do the math as far as can – Brazil and Argentina and um, Australia, can they feed China for a year if they needed to while this gets worked out? And um, I'm just not totally sure is the answer. So we're all crunching numbers to see what the possibilities are, but it's it's nerve-wracking, especially when I think a lot mm-hmm. of producers were able to sell something on that rally that we had in May. Um, but of course, in hindsight, it never is enough. Yeah, that's the truth. And now, of course, we've pulled back. And Naomi, let's jump into the corn market first. Today we saw, you know, another drop front month down, what, a little over five cents. Dees down a little over five cents. Given where we sit with trade plus the uh, expected crop uh, conditions reports later this afternoon, do you think we're pretty well down at the bottom? Um, Maybe. 380 is tremendous support on the December contract. And we finished a little bit below it today, but if by chance it can come back tomorrow, that would be a positive signal. There are monthly charts that look at um, continuous charts, which show that we're, you know, maybe on some bigger support areas. Um, But again, if these support levels are taken out, unfortunately, the next level lower is an additional 25 cents to the downside. Um, But, you know, it just seems and feels like it's too soon to be just trading in a for sure crop. I read this today that, um, one analyst out there thinks that we're trading 180 bushel corn, like a new record, mm. record, record, record on corn. And, and if that were the case, well, for the market to slide lower might actually be appropriate because those carryout numbers would swell when we've all thinking that they would be shrinking in the next year. So there's a lot of weather yet coming up potentially. We've got July options expiring on Friday, which a lot of times once those 
expire and then we start getting into getting rid of the first notice, say for July futures, the market rebounds and reacts and getting into weather during pollination. You know, I don't want to say it's over and done with, but this is a critical week. It truly, truly is for this marketplace. It definitely is, Naomi. With that being said, um, when you look at the December contract, do you think that we've already put in a high for the summer too? I'm sure that a lot of producers sitting at home are thinking, are we going to get another seasonal rally? Of course, you can't predict the weather, but is that really the only thing at this point that could give us another rally? Well, if if we could get this trade stuff figured out in a nice Mm -hmm. capacity, um, if the weather turned to hot and dry, we could see a retest, you know, maybe to 425 with December futures, but those two things would perfectly have to happen. Otherwise, if we only trade a weather scare, I could see December futures getting back up to the $4 area, but it may have been, in hindsight, the high just in May this year, which is shocking to, I think, many in the industry. Right. And if a lot of farmers are still sitting on new crop corn that they haven't sold out yet or haven't futures contracted out yet, what would you recommend they do at this point? Um, Well, I would say that any bounces that you see along the way to make sure that you're getting some sales in place, that's what we can do for now. And then, um, again, this this black swan of the whole trade thing went further and farther than I think anyone could have anticipated. Um, It just feels like, you know, months ago we would talk trade stuff and the market hardly moved from it because I think everyone assumed it would have been straightened out by now. And the fact that it just continues to escalate um, is is not helping anything. So my secret desire is just that we can get this figured out sooner than later mm-hmm. because there's too many lives and livelihoods at stake here, and it's not fair to the American farmer anymore. It's just not. Absolutely. And, of course, one of those commodities that has really been most affected by all of this talk is soybeans. And we saw an eight handle on front month soybeans earlier this morning. Naomi, holy cow, I don't think coming into this growing season, anybody thought we'd see beans with an eight in front of them. No, especially not now. You know, it would have been, I think we all thought, well, maybe at harvest if it was a perfect growing year. But, again, this is trade-related and trade scare. And that's what pushed the market lower. So, hey, if China needed to buy some beans, they're a buck cheaper than where they were, and now they're on sale. So they should be opening up their wallets and starting to buy from us for Pete's sake. It's on sale. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not expected. Not what I think we were even looking for just a few weeks ago. Well, yeah, now, Naomi, and- just a quick follow-up to that. If we do see China, or I should say for growers who are listening and they want to follow, if China does take advantage of these cheaper bean prices, when and where will that be reported so the market can take advantage of it? That would be um, timely-wise. If they were smart, they would do it in the next two weeks before the, all of the tariff stuff comes into effect on July 6th, and then that would show up. Um, anything more than 100,000 metric tons, I believe, is what has to get reported daily on the newswires, and then it would show up in the weekly export sales. So um, that is definitely something to be watching. And, and I believe that there's some delays happening at the Brazilian mm-hmm. ports right yeah. now. So so they're, if they had anything that they were expecting to be receiving from Brazil, maybe they're not getting there in the timely manner that they were hoping. So there's a few things that you can kind of poke your fingers at, but um, trade is the biggest thing right now. That's That's what's affecting this market. Well, and when we look at exports, in the soybean markets, we've had a, a stronger U.S. dollar here. I think it was like 128 ticks last week that it skyrocketed. Uh, but usually when we have a strong dollar, that means we have weak exports. But with the, the, I guess, not ideal soybean prices that we've been having, 
will that open up the trade for exports or, or not because of the strong dollar? Um, it may not. Delaney, you're right because of that dollar being up as, as high as it is right now. And, you know, right now looking at my quote screen, we're up at close to 95 on it. And so that just continues to to push higher, and, and that definitely is not helping our exports at all, along with the trade issues. So um, I, I don't know what the price relationship would have to be as far as where the dollar is at and how low futures prices would have to go to make it favorable for anyone to want to be like a, a bigger buyer. So I'll see if I can put some math to that and have an answer for you sooner than later. <laughs> That'd be great. Perfect. Well, now let's let's just real quick turn the topic to something that's a little prettier to talk about from a producer's perspective, and that's the livestock market today, Naomi. We had mixed trade in live cattle, but feeders are stronger. Hogs are much stronger. Is this mm-hmm. just weekend over? We're into summer. Folks are getting out the grill type trade? Well, I think it may be some of that, but the other part of it is that with the cattle market, we had not been – the futures were trading at such a discount to where the cash was actually trading at that finally the futures are coming up to meeting that. And I think domestic demand has been real good for both cattle and hogs. And so that's supportive, and we've been holding some major support levels on charts. So that's been great as well. Um, slaughter numbers for um, hogs are actually – they were a little lower last week from the previous week, um, still you know up from about a year ago, but – Demand, yeah, it's demand, and um, let's just hope it can continue throughout the summer. Yeah, for sure. When you look at the live cattle market specifically, why are we seeing the spread right now sitting between the June and August months? Just seasonal seasonal demand? Um, I think it is that, but I think it's also if you're um, a spread trader with futures trading, it's a, it's a good one to be in um, just mm. from that standpoint. Um, so there's a little bit of money-making from that aspect, but definitely a demand thing. And oftentimes as the front months are starting to get ready to expire and go off the board, they've been having a tendency to rally higher as they go off of trading. So there might be a little bit of that as well. Um, that June contract is going to be expiring. Let me look at my cheat sheet here real quick. Um, <laughs> on the 29th. So that could be part of it, too. All right, Naomi. And, of course, as our native Wisconsinite, we've got to talk to you about the dairy market. We've been on a little bit of a climb. It seemed like we were working our way out of this hole throughout the month of May. And then the entire month of June, it's just been one event after another pushing these summer contracts lower. What are you watching here from a technical perspective as a bottom? Well, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. We had that nice, slow rally, similar to the corn market, all winter and early spring, and then just in a few weeks' time, um, you know, over a dollar taken off of that market um, from technical selling um, and, of course, just ideas that supplies are indeed sufficient. So as far as support goes on the July contract, um, which is front month here pretty quick, $15 is a major support area. The market is oversold. $15 is psychological support but also the support low from January and February. And I think that should hold for the time being until we can just get a better handle on all of the markets and the marketplace and where demand is at and supply. So um, the other thing with milk is that with there was a lot of dairies that had gone under, unfortunately, with the lower prices that we had. And so I think we're trying to get a better handle on where we are in terms of the herd overall in the country and where production is at. And so we'll have some reports coming out 
in the coming weeks for milk, and that'll help with the demand picture and the supply picture there, too. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Naomi, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about the dairy markets, because I know you follow a lot of geopolitical and uh, and trade type of news, and we had, of course, on Friday, Secretary Purdue saying that if Canada gets rid of the Class 7 pricing milk structure, um, they'd be more apt to move forward with NAFTA. If that does happen, what's that going to mean for the U.S. dairy markets? Are we going to see that much of a price difference if that does get eliminated? That, I was watching the same thing. So, yes, great minds think alike, and I don't know <laughs> if the flat-out answer to it, um, but I'm, I'm watching and wondering that, too. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something to be monitoring. I, I don't know what the answer is, though, to Delaney. Boy, there's a lot of stuff coming ahead of us between China, between NAFTA, between, you know, Mexico on its own and everything else. Mm-hmm. Naomi Bloom, you are going to have your work cut out for you. Thanks for taking the time to help shed some light on these markets. Yeah, thank you, you guys. It's been great as always. And if folks want to get a hold of you, Naomi, where can they find you? Well, uh, you can give me a call at Stuart Peterson, 800-334-9779, or you can find me on Twitter at Naomi Bloom. Well, that wraps up another Market Monday episode here with Naomi Bloom. Hannah, what do you think? I know you're a little nervous to jump in on the markets, and that's totally understandable. I mean, it took me a long time, especially to kind of learn what's going on. But what are your thoughts? I mean, yes, Delaney, I'll be honest. Econ classes were never my strong suit in school, (laughs) but I do have an appreciation for learning supply and demand. And it's so fascinating just learning like when one thing happens up here, something's going to happen down there. And I think Naomi really walked us through what's happening in the world today. Absolutely. It is a constantly fluctuating industry, which uh, creates some opportunities, but it certainly also creates a lot of challenges when you've got the stuff growing out in the field or growing in the feed yard and you got to try to feed your family. Mm-hmm. We will be back tomorrow for our Tech Tuesday discussion. We've got a great discussion lined up, so folks, be sure to tune into that. And Delaney, if folks want to find us, where can they get to us on the interwebs? On the interwebs, well, you can find us on social media on Facebook and Twitter, both by searching for at Ag News Daily. You can also head to agnewsdaily.com, and we've got a great contact us submission form there. If you have any suggestions or tips or comments about the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. With that, guys, I'm going to head to the pool, so should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 